Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. Well, how are we doing, Chi Alpha? It's Monday night. <laughs> well, that you know what that means. It's time to dive into the book of Revelation. If you are if you're new to Chi Alpha, my name is Pete, and I have the joy of uh, working with Chi Alpha. This is my 20th year here, believe it or not. I know I, I don't look that old. No, I'm sure I do look that old. <laughs> um, but anyways, it is a joy to be together. And we are going through the last book of the Bible this semester. We're doing a series uh, called Revelation, Revealing Ultimate Reality. And it's such a powerful book, and I've enjoyed what we've done so far and tonight Looking forward to continuing our series. The book of Revelation seeks to give us some lenses to, to do two things. Number one, to see what the present actually, what is ultimate reality currently in the present as the world really is, but sometimes not always seen. As we talked about last week, that there is a center with a throne and God is at the center of ultimate reality. So, um, the centerpiece is highlighted of how the world truly is today. And then, as the world will be, it gives us a picture, what is called biblically an eschatological perspective, a picture of the future, so we can live in light of that today. Let me say this. The book of Revelation is written to inspire faithfulness to a suffering and uh, persecuted first century church. And I also say this, it's written to inspire faithfulness in a suffering 21st century church as well. And so I am so grateful that we have this opportunity to go through this really powerful book. It wasn't written to just fuel speculation. It was written to inspire faithfulness and hope and obedience to Jesus. Well, tonight we come to a part of the book of Revelation that many of you, if you have ever read the book of Revelation, have been waiting for because we get to what has often been seen as some of the confusing or or parts that cause consternation whenever we read um, the book of Revelation. So I want to give us a little bit of a, a, a lay of the land of how to read the next several chapters that we'll be going through. Uh, first of all, I want you to understand this, that what is recorded in chapters 6 all the way really till chapter 18 is a series of visions that John sees. Okay, so as we read these chapters, we need to un- see them as like screenplay. Imagine you're watching a screenplay. I want you to, as we would read it, to picture what John saw, okay? And as a result of that, we should ask this question. We shouldn't ask what happens next. We should ask what does John see next, okay? Because it's not all necessarily chronologically uh, chronologically oriented, okay? Um, as a result, if you try to put, okay, chapter 6 happens, then chapter 7 happens, then chapter 8 happens, you're going to get really confused because at the end of chapter 6 is like the end of history, and then you shoot into a new chapter, and then chapter 8, you're back over here. So it's not what happened next, but what did he see next? Now let me give you a little bit more understanding of how to read this. There are three cycles of seven that you will find in this book. You're going to find, we're going to open seven seals tonight. So just hang in there. We're going to open seven seals. And then what you'll find is that the sixth seal we're going to read tonight is kind of the 
end or the consummation of human history in the fallen world. And then you get to the seventh seal and nested inside the seventh seal are seven trumpets that will take you back, okay? And then it will build and then you'll get to the sixth trumpet and it looks like we're coming to the end of human history. And then we open the seventh trumpet and what do we find inside the seventh trumpet? Seven bowls (laughs) that will then lead to the ultimate conclusion of history. So let me give you a metaphor. I'm not um, really well versed in music, but I do like music. And actually, I write sermons often to symphonies. I love to play classical music when I write sermons. It just helps me uh, concentrate. And so I want you to picture Revelation as a symphony, okay, that is being played by an orchestra. And so what would happen in this symphony is that you would get the main melodies of the symphony, you'd get the main notes of the symphony, and then it would come back and new parts of the orchestra would join in. And so it reiterates and and repeats a lot of what has just been played, but it brings more nuance and more depth and and more width to to, to the power of the music. And then It'll come back again and it'll build even more and it builds and it builds and it builds until it leads to a final crescendo. And that is what you get in the book of Revelation. You'll you'll see it coming and it'll come back and it'll build more and more and more till you get to the final crescendo of human history. And here's what you need to know. The symphony has an author and the author is God, the one who sits at the center of ultimate reality. He's the one in charge. He's the one in control. He's the one writing the symphony. And so what we're going to do today is we are going to look at the seven seals, the first cycle, if you will, um, that really give us a powerful picture of our world today. Now, we ended last week with a picture of God at the center of the throne and the lamb who is who represents Jesus, right? And there was a question that was asked at the, at the center of ultimate reality. One of the four living creatures said, who is worthy to unfold, unroll the scroll that sits in the hand of God Almighty? And there was no one other than the lamb. The lamb is found to be worthy. And so at the end of chapter He grabs the scroll that has seven seals on it that holds God's plan to rectify this broken world and to establish his kingdom in the world. And so all of heaven is celebrating because the lamb that was slain for the forgiveness of sins has grabbed the scroll and is getting ready to unfold. In other words, to enact God's plan for the establishment of his kingdom on the earth. And so what we're going to do is we're going to watch these seven seals opened. And as we do, we're going to learn a lot about the fallen world. Now, I want you to hold that thought for just a second. When I was a kid, I don't remember doing it often, but there was something that when I did get to do it, it was always a blast. And that was to fly a kite. Have you ever flown a kite? You ever had the opportunity to fly? Oh man, is it? I mean, for me, maybe I Maybe, you know, I just was easily amused. I don't know, but I loved flying a kite. Here's what you do. If, you, if you've ever done this, you know what I'm talking about. You let some string out and you start running. And as you run, you hope the wind will catch the, the sail of the kite and it will go up. And as it starts to go up, you let out more and more string, right? And the kite is sailing way up there. Now, I want you to personify that kite for a second. The, the kite is up there soaring and it's like, whoa, this is really cool. 
and you're letting out the string. Imagine the kite thinks, looks up and like, wow, look at those clouds way up there. If I didn't have the string holding me down, look how high I could soar. And so the, the kite is starting to think, man, if I could just get rid of the string, I could just, man, I could soar. This, this string is holding me down. Now here's what we know. We know that the kite is not actually being held down by the string. It's actually being held up by the string, right? And what would happen if you cut the string? What would happen? That kite would begin to collapse in a downward spiral spiral very rapidly and would come to a, a, a grim determination that it was the wrong move to cut the string, right? As it is plummeting to the earth. Well, why do I mention that? Some of you have heard me tell that story before. Why do I mention that? Because that is a picture of what the sin and rebellion of humanity and evil in the world does. It, it causes this downward spiral in God's world. This is God's world. And it only works as God intended it to work. And it is meant to work with him as the authority, with him as the center. And when we cut the string from his authority in our lives or cut the string in our culture from his authority, what starts to happen is a downward spiral. And so what we're going to see is, what does it look like as things are in that downward spiral? As we open these seals, we're going to be introduced to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Perhaps you've heard of them before. And as we open the seals, what we will see is God is bringing judgment on the earth as each seal is open. Now, here's what you need to understand. It's not just judgment. The judgment is God is letting the leash out on our evil. In other words, he's letting, the, he's letting our depravity run. He's letting the horses of our depravity have their way. In other words, he's letting us face the ramification of our own sinfulness so, so we can see what it's like when evil is allowed to run. And what a terrible judgment it is when evil is allowed to have its way. And so it kind of gives us this picture of the collapse that sin can bring in our world. And uh, in the process, well, here, let me just say this. In our culture, we tend to downplay the darkness and the destructive nature of sin. And what this passage does is put us, uh, make us keenly aware of how consequential sin in the world is by the judgment of letting the leash of our sin out to let, um, let us face the ramifications of it. Okay, so turn to chapter 6 of the book of Revelation and we are going to read about the four horsemen now. Okay, verse 1. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode as a conqueror bent on conquest. And so the force, I'm sorry, the first horse that we see is the white horse that comes running out. Now, this may be helpful. This was written to the Christians in the Roman Empire. There was... A, there was a group of people that the Roman Empire feared, and it was the Parthians. They bordered on the eastern side of the Roman Empire, and you know what they were known for? They were known for their white horses. In fact, they considered their white horses sacred. And did they ever 
thing that they were known for is that they were known for being great archers. And so they, so this picture of coming on white horse and a bow with a conquerors bent on conquest was a picture of war. And the first horse that we see run is the horse of war. And it's a picture of this, no matter how powerful an empire may seem, it is not impermeable. It is not beyond falling. It's not beyond conquest. And the horse of war runs on. Secondly, let's look at the second horse. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. And then a horse came out and a fiery red, it was a fiery red one. Its horse, its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. And so what we see is the, the next logical step after the white horse is the red horse. It's the color of bloodshed. And then when this horse runs, it's given power to take peace from the earth and to kill each other. And it has a sword. And it's the picture that this horse will bring social strife and um, animosity and hatred and uh, disdain and envy and bitterness and animosity that will ultimately result in violence. The, the logical outflow of war is violence. And that anything that can cause people to destroy each other, that's what this horse will bring. And the, and the second horse, the, the horse of bloodshed runs on. And then we see the third horse. Verse 5, it says this, When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the Third living, living creature say, come. And I looked and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in its hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying this, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. What is this speaking of? This is speaking of as the black horse runs, it is a picture of of famine and, and lack and hyperinflation and, and economic um, struggle that is released in humanity. And we see that it takes, it's starting to rain. <laughs> and we see that it takes um, the economic um, wages of a, of a man to feed himself for a day. And it has the, the pictures of, of the scales in the, in the rider of the horse. In other words, this isn't scales to the scales of justice. These are the scales of how much um, would it cost to, to buy this much food. And so the scales are used to, to weigh the food because there's such um, scarcity that is going on as the, as the um, lack and the economic struggle and the famine sail on. And then it says, but don't touch the oil and don't touch the wine. Why does it say that? Here's the reason why. Because that was not a necessity. It was a luxury in the day. They didn't have any uh, nutritional value. Oil and wine didn't have any nutritional value. But it's a picture of this. While, while people are struggling, using their entire day, day's wage to feed their family or to feed themselves if they wanted wheat or feed their family with barley. 
Then in the process of that, the luxuries of the rich still sailed on. And you get this picture of economic injustice. And so you have famine and hyperinflation and economic injustice that is running. And what do we see? The horse of famine and economic struggle run on. And then finally, we see the fourth horseman. And it says this in verse 7, When the Lamb opened the fourth seal... I heard the voice of the four living creatures say, come. And I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind. Then we're given the power of the fourth horse over the earth to kill by sword and famine and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. And so what do we see with the fourth horse? It's the horse of death. How does it Kill by sword, famine, plague, or as the ESV says, pestilence, and then wild beasts, which this was written in a season when Christians would be facing beasts unto death. You know, it's interesting as I was um, listening to uh, people this summer on, uh, the, on this passage in particular, I was listening to a guy by the name of D.A. Carson. He's a New Testament scholar, and it was something that had been recorded Years before, um, I think in maybe 2012, 2013, sometime in that time frame, maybe even earlier. And he said, he talked about this pestilence. He said, you know, oftentimes we read that now and we think, oh, we're beyond that because we have modern health care. And so we don't have to worry about pestilence or plagues. And so I'm, I'm listening to this within the context of this pandemic. And then he said this, he said, but you know what will happen? It's happened over and over again. Some virus will spring up out of nowhere and will show us that we are not beyond the possibility of plague and pestilence. And then I was reading a book that was written years before. And he quoted, the author of the book quoted somebody who wrote in 1935. And I want to read you the quote. In fact, I think we have it to put up. This was the quote. Hans Zinzer said this in 1934, actually. He says this, Roman power and world organization was interrupted by the only force against which political genius and military valor were utterly helpless. Epidemic. In 1934, that was written. And then what you may not know is... um, in 165 to 180, the, the Roman Empire faced a terrible plague where between a quarter and a third of their population died, including the emperor. The horse of pestilence ran wild. I told my wife recently, I said, if, if this time last year you would have told me that we would have to meet in groups of 15, that we wouldn't be able to um, touch each other, we'd have to stay six feet apart, that we'd wear masks everywhere we go. You know what I would tell you? You've been watching too many sci-fi movies. That's what I would tell you. And yet, here we are, and here's what we learn. We learn this. We're not as strong as we thought, and the world is more broken than we would have imagined. That's what we learn in the midst of this as the fourth horse of pandemic runs wild. 
Guys, this was written 2,000 years ago. These four horsemen were written about 2,000 years ago. It's like I'm reading the paper today. War and famine and economic struggle and pestilence and death and the horses run on. And lest we become um, myopic and, and ethnocentric, this is happening around the world. The horses are running around the world. And here's what we learn. Is that the result as the leash of, of sinfulness and depravity is let out. We learn this, that it is not pretty. It is not pretty. As the horses run. It's interesting. It says that they were only allowed to kill a fourth. Now we think a fourth? My goodness, that is a, yes, that is a ton. But the the fact is, what we see is there is still constraint. Well, when we get to the trumpets, there's going to be permission for the, for the plagues of the trumpets to kill a third. And you're going to see this building intensity. And you, why is this mentioned? Why is this allowed? And here's the reason why. Because God is wanting to use this to bring people to repentance. He's wanting them to show what it's like when evil goes so they can see their need for him. And what we see is, is that in his mercy, he's still constraining it. He's not letting it be the final judgment yet. He's just letting us taste of the brokenness of the world so we will run to him. And as we see the downward spiral, they're like sirens. These, as the four horsemen run, they're like sirens calling us back to God that we would repent and come back to the true center or reattach the string, if you will, of his authority in our lives. Now, I don't know what 2020 has been like for you, but maybe you're at a watch party tonight because 2020 has awakened you to the fact that you need God. Like life is too big. The problems of this world are too big for for you to face on your own and you realize that you need God. And here's what we find that the one who's opening the seals, that's giving us a picture of the ramification of our own depravity is also the one who died for our sins so we could be restored back to relationship with God so we could ultimately be saved. So if that is you, I want to encourage you. Tonight you can reattach the string by literally entering into his kingdom, coming back into his authority and being who he created you to be. Now, as we finish this chapter, there are two groups of people that are spoken of in seal five and seal six, and they each have a question. And so we're going to look at these two groups of people and answer the two questions, and we're going to start to wrap it up. So let's look at the fifth seal. He says this, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And so you have a picture of martyrs, people who've been slain because of their faithfulness to Jesus. And the picture is, is that they are under the altar, which is where you would pour the blood of the sacrifice in this day, right? And the point is, is this. It's a picture that their lives were sacrificed wholly unto God. And they are looking up at God and they're saying, God, how long until you avenge our blood? Well, can I tell you, the response is not 
one that you probably would expect. In fact, at first it's a little bit jarring when you read the response, but then it actually, when you dissect it, it's actually quite comforting. Let's, let's look at the response. Here's what God says to them. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. God says, how, they say, how long, O Lord, O sovereign Lord, until you avenge our blood? And he says, it's going to be a little longer. I still have more people to be martyred. I still have more people that need to bear witness to me unto death. In other words, there's going to be suffering. There's going to be persecution. But here's what I don't want you to miss in this response. God is still in control. He is still in control. And one day he is going to avenge them. He is going to avenge his glory and avenge their sacrifice. And the perpetrators are not under, and, and the people who killed them are not the people in control. And the picture is that God will vindicate them and God will be victorious. And so on one side, it may not happen in their time frame they would have longed for in the moment, but they will see his victory. And so the first question is, how long, O oh Lord? And God says, I've got more to do, and there's going to be more people who suffer, and yet I am in charge. I am in control. And then finally, as we complete this chapter, we come to a picture of the final judgment. And it, it's the sixth seal. The sixth seal is open. It's a picture of a great earthquake that of unparalleled magnitude that happens, which by the way, in, in Asia Minor, where these churches were, they knew earthquakes. And so that, it was a very fearful thing. And, and then it says that the skies are going to be rolled up like a scroll. I want you to picture like a scroll that had been sealed for years. And, and then you just, you, you lengthen the scroll and then you just let it go. It's a picture of, of the skies being rolled up. This is a, these are symbols of cataclysmic judgment that, that the world as they knew it was collapsing in on them. And it says this, that they go and they seek cover. As the mountains are shaking, they run to the mountains and they seek cover. And why do they seek cover? It says this in verse 16, they call on the mountains and on the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. In other words, they would rather be crushed by stones than to face the wrath of the living God. And it says this, For the day, great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? In other words, all the evil they've perpetrated, their part in having the horses run, it is the day for the judgment of that. And they know they, they do not want to face it. And they say, who can stand before the wrath of God? Well, here's the good news. We actually get the answer. And that's in the next chapter. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but let me tell you what John sees. In chapter 7, we get uh, a, a double vision. And the answer to the question of who can stand is answered. The double vision is this. The first is this, that John, okay, it's a, it's a scene change. It's a scene changed from the, the horseman into the picture of the altar and now the scene and then to the earthquake and now the scene changes one more time and it's a picture of 144,000 people that have been sealed 
on their foreheads with God's mark. In other words, the, the, pic, the picture in chapter seven is this, that angels are holding back the winds, they're holding back the judgment, and they say, just a second, and they put the seal of God's ownership on God's people so they would be spared when wrath comes. And it says this, 144,000. It says 12,000 from every tribe of Israel. In other words, it's a picture of this. It's the number of completion from every tribe. So it means this, the totality of the people of God will be spared from God's wrath. They will be the ones who can stand. And then there's a second vision that's given. And John sees a multitude, he says, a multitude that's beyond counting. It says there are people there from every tongue, tribe, and nation, and people. In other words, that the people of of God are going to be a multi-ethnic people from all over. And what we see is that they are worshiping God. They are swinging palm branches, which was a, a symbol of their victory. They're clothed in white. Because it says, because they're, garments had been washed in the blood of the lamb and had been made white. And so who can stand? The picture is those who have been sealed by God and those who've been cleansed by the lamb, they can stand. And here's what we see in verse 15 of chapter seven. We see the people of God standing before the throne of God. Who can stand? We can stand. We can stand. And then the chapter, chapter 7 ends with this. That never again will they be hungry. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not bear down on them, nor any scorching heat. In other words, what we get is this. Is that the horses will never run again. They have been saved. They not just have just withstand, withstood judgment, but they've been brought into a new reality where the horses do not run. And then in verse 17, I love this picture. It says this. For the lamb is at the center of the throne. And the lamb will be their shepherd. Isn't that beautiful? That the lamb becomes their shepherd. And this is what it says. That he will um, lead them by springs of living water. And he'll wipe every tear from their eye. Wow. What what does John do when he shares this with um, the churches who are the suffering and persecuted churches? He reminds them of their future. He's reminding them that they indeed will stand. And he's reminding us of our future, that we indeed will stand. And you say, well, what does it mean that we're sealed? You know what the Bible says in the New Testament? It says this, that here's what the seal is. Is that when you become a follower of Jesus, he gives you the Holy Spirit as a seal on your life. That God says, those are my people. And they will be the ones who are spared when judgment comes. And because of that spirit in our lives, the Apostle Paul said this, that we have this treasure in jars of clay, meaning the the life of the spirit in us in in these jars of clay. And how does that help us during times when it feels like the horses are running? Here's how it helps us. It says that you may be pressed, but because of the counter pressure of the spirit in your life, you will not be crushed. You may be persecuted, but you will not be abandoned. You may be perplexed, but you will not be in despair. You may be struck down, but you will not be destroyed. In other words, the seal of the Spirit in your life can enable you to endure when it feels like the horses are running. And not only that, 
But you've been given this white robe of righteousness that one day you will stand in complete victory, celebrating the lamb, celebrating the one who brought you through. Now, I'm going to be really honest. Well, I've been honest the whole time, but I want to be fairly uh, transparent here. I don't know what the next two to three months hold. I don't know all the ins and outs ahead. But I do know, I don't know how the horses will run. We hope they don't run in any marked way. But I do know this. I do know that if you are a follower of Jesus, you can have hope and a sense of security and a sense of strength that is only found in him. Because you have the the Holy Spirit that has sealed you to give you endurance in the midst of great difficulty as great difficulty breaks out in a fallen world. And you have a hope that Jesus is coming back. That yes, he said that the four horses will run, but he will be victorious. And he will be the one who wipes every tear from our eye. And he's the one who holds the scroll. And he ultimately will bring victory. And that is good news. And so, this passage is honestly a fairly daunting passage of what life in a fallen world looks like when our depravity is let run. But this passage is also a very hopeful passage that shows us the value of what Jesus has done for us and how he's equipped us by sealing us with his spirit. And so as we close, I want us to pray. And I want us to pray for that endurance of the spirit that only he can give us. Because I know that many of us are weary. I mean, we've been in this pandemic for six months already. We don't know how much longer it goes. There's uncertainty at every turn, not just in our country, but in the world. We need to pray for endurance. And then I want to pray for a revelation of that hope. Paul prayed that our eyes would be open to the glorious inheritance that we have in Christ. And I want to pray for that. So I want to pray and then we're going to move towards worship. Gracious God, as we reckon with the fallenness of the world and the depth of darkness and destruction that the depravity of sin has brought into this world. We are so glad that we can know in the midst of it all that you're still on the throne, that you are still in control. And though our our, uh, vindication may at times be later than we would hope, we can know that you are in control and we can trust you. And Lord, we are thankful that you have sealed us with the Holy Spirit. And I pray that tonight as we we close in worship, that you would allow the, the strength of the Holy Spirit to well up in our souls, that as we walk in this fallen world, that that we would be able to walk with a strength beyond our own, with a hope that is um, that flows out of the good news of Jesus, and with the trust that Jesus will ultimately be victorious, and that Jesus is the one who holds the scroll and ultimately is over history and therefore our lives. And so, Lord, open our hearts that we may see the glorious inheritance that we have in Christ and give us strength because we know that we are weak. (laughs) 
and our strength does fail, but yours endures. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Chi Alpha, isn't it a joy that we serve a God who is steady in the midst of the unsteadiness and brokenness of this world? That we serve a Savior who's victorious, that makes us stand when there's no other way to stand through Jesus and the work he's done, we will and we do stand by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good news? Well, for the benediction tonight, may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and turn his countenance towards you. And may he give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God bless you. Let's have a wonderful week following Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com. 